You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. Good morning. Uh, The reading is taken from Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Great. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, For those of you who don't know, Rebecca usually works uh, here with us. She's our advice centre and operations manager, although she left to have a baby uh, a couple of months ago now. There's a small child at the back, which is Rebecca's. But I assume that as she's done the Bible reading, that means she's coming back to work. In a couple of weeks? No, no, not getting a, no, lots of shaking of heads there. Um, yes, so we are uh, talking for the next three Sundays about uh, our 2030 vision. Um, so a quick overview for those of you who might be coming for the very Sunday this week um, and not have any idea about what this is or what this means. Um, so back in 2010, and I will do this quickly for those of you who have been here in previous weeks, uh, we wrote what was then called our 2020 vision. Where do we want the church to go and to be in the next decade? Uh, and then in 2019, Steve, uh, who is uh, the minister before me here, uh, we, me and Steve sat down and we planned what we were going to do about the 2030 vision. It was kind of January. January 2020-ish, I think, that we sat down and we had this wonderful timeline about how we were going to speak to the church leadership team and write some stuff. And then in May 2020, we were going to have the Waterloo Weekender here. And at that point, we were going to talk to the congregation about the 2030 vision. And we had all this stuff lined out, all these timescales. And then obviously, in March 2020, everything falls apart. So, fast forward three years, and uh, in May 2023, for those of you who were around will remember, we had our Waterloo Weekender then, um, and we talked a bit about kind of where we had come from um, and where we wanted to go in the next 10 years. And so for the next three Sundays, we're going to look at the next steps, what we've done so far, what progress we've made on this 2030 vision. So, yeah, I'm speaking this morning, and then Jill is going to speak next Sunday, and then it's back to me for the last Sunday. And these are the three areas that we're going to look at. Going deeper, going further, and going together. 
So I'm going to talk this morning about what it means to go deeper, and then Jill's going to pick up on this idea of going further, and then it's back to me again for the final week for going together. I think when we reflected on the 2020 vision, what we learned from that, from that 10-year period, is that we did a lot of stuff. And we grew rapidly uh, in 2009 when we started writing this. This auditorium looked very different. There was a stage over there and you would stand on there when you were speaking. Everybody else was sat in these kind of slightly awkward pews that kind of looked at each other and you had to like bend your body this way to see what was going on there. Either, either way, you ended up singing like directly at the person opposite you and it was slightly awkward. Uh, and obviously that's changed a little bit. That changed because we initially took over a primary school we then set up a secondary school and in doing that renovated this building we were running a load of great youth work in that time and running a coffee shop but not probably a lot more than that and now if you look at what we do during the week not just on a Sunday we employ 30 odd people we run a food bank, debt, immigration, benefits, housing advice. Uh, we've got a children's centre around the corner. We've got a farm over that way. Yeah, that primary school, that secondary school. And if I carried on talking to you about all the other things that we did, it would be lunchtime and everybody's food would be going cold. So we've done quite a lot of stuff. We've grown quite a lot over that 10-year period. So we were reflecting on this. And what does that mean for the next 10 years? <clears throat> and one of the things that we thought was, that's great. We've gone a long way. It's been fantastic to do all of these things. But what does it mean to then take a step back? And what does growth and progress look like in the next 10 years? Now, some of that still means going further. That's the bit that Jill's going to talk about next week because we never want to rest on our laurels and say, oh, look at how far we've come. Haven't we done a good job? And then just sit here. There's always more to do. There's always more work to do in the community. There's always more uh, kind of cutting edge theology to look for. We always want to make sure we're pushing the boundaries as far as we possibly can. But with and alongside that, we want to talk about how we do that together. Because that looks different for lots of different people, doesn't it? There will be some people here who will work for us, and they'll be here and be part of all those things week in, week out, day in, day out. There'll be some people who live around the corner from here who can come along and be involved in a small group during the week and can do a bit of volunteering. And then there'll be other people who come in on a Sunday because they've heard about us or because of the theology or whatever it might be, but they've got busy lives and they've got families and they've got jobs. And they can only cope with coming in on that Sunday because that's all the bandwidth that they've got. And we want to have a conversation about how we can make sure that over the next seven years, as we look at this 2030 vision, how do we do that together? How do we ensure, how do we ensure that everyone has a role to play in that, regardless of whether you're the person who's here 24-7 because you work here, or the person who's only got the capacity for a couple of hours on a Sunday. So we'll look at all of that stuff. And then on the final Sunday, on that third week, we'll have a church forum together. So again, for those of you who've not been around for a while, four times a year, we run a shorter service, 11 till 12, and then we run straight from there into a half an hour church forum where we can talk to you about some progress, some updates, some things that's happening. And there's an opportunity there for you to ask your questions of us, of the, the leadership of this church. And what we'll do on that third Sunday is that time will be given over for any questions, any ideas that you might have. Because we really want to say that this is, it's the culmination of one part of this 2030 vision, but it's not the finished product. We want to say to everybody who is sitting there, we want your input into this. 
we know in broad brush strokes where we want to go on that next seven years, going deeper, going further, and going together. But what that looks like day to day in practice, we really want you to be involved in that. I've been working with uh, someone called Hosanna, who's part of the church. For those of you who were around a couple of weeks ago, um, she was one of the people who spoke on our Faith at Work series. And one of her, uh, her day-to-day job is to work for Spotify, as she said there. And she looks at organizational culture and kind of development of organizations. And we've been doing quite a lot of work on how we can take these big ideas of going deeper, going further, and going together, and embed them into stuff that actually makes a difference on the ground that actually means that this community and the individuals who come here day to day as well as on a Sunday will be transformed by these three big ideas. (coughs) So today we'll talk a little bit about what it means to go deeper and we will talk about a bit of that day-to-day stuff as well, because I think the thing that we want to keep on talking about is that it's great that we've grown lots, not just because we've achieved stuff, but because week after week after week, what that means is that we hear stories about people whose lives have been changed by the stuff that we've done. A couple of weeks ago, as part of Community News, it was the Sunday after uh, A-level results came out, and I told the story of a teenager who lots of you will know. Um, About six or seven years ago, at the height of the kind of Syrian Middle Eastern refugee crisis, we decided we wanted to respond to that as a church, and we got some investment to buy a flat in Kennington, um, which we then got in touch with the Home Office and ended up housing a refugee family from Iran. This family had two boys who ended up going to our school, And the one that I talked about last week, he joined Oasis Academy South Bank, our secondary that's through there, uh, in year nine, not speaking any English. He left Oasis Academy South Bank a couple of weeks ago, finishing his A-levels, and he's passed them all. He got an A-star in one, and he's now in September going to UCL to study astrophysics. Now... That's the difference that this work can make. So even though we're going to spend three weeks talking big picture, talking vision, talking where are we going to go, we have to remember that all of this is rooted in the stories of people whose lives can be transformed if we get stuck in and we do this job. So we do need to keep going with that stuff. As I said, Jill will talk next week about how we keep moving forwards with all this stuff. But at the same time that we're doing that, I think we also need to look at this idea of going deeper, focusing on some of that depth stuff as well. A few years ago, when we started working on this 2030 vision, I had come across this quote from an author called Maria Popova, and it says this, May we face the future with the steady serenity of a tree, that supreme lover of light, always reaching both higher and deeper, rooted in a network of kinship and ringed by a more patient view of time. I love this quote. And at the time, I thought that it summed up some of the stuff that we wanted to do, going higher and deeper, rooted in a network of kinship. I love the idea that as a tree grows higher, it can only do that because under the surface, 
its roots are going deeper and deeper. A tree can't grow unless those roots are getting deeper. And I guess the reason that it stuck out to me when I read it a few years ago is that the parallels for us here are obvious, aren't they? As we continue to look ahead to 2030, we won't continue to grow higher and higher unless our roots are growing deeper. Rebecca read to us from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Now, lots of you will know that the book of Ephesians is a letter written by a guy called Paul, who was one of the early church leaders, to a church community that was emerging in a place called Ephesus. Uh, again, lots of you will know that there are a few of these types of letters in the New Testament, letters written to churches which have developed really out of nowhere because they've heard this story of Jesus and they've decided that they're going to live their life trying to follow his example. Now, these churches were a bit of a strange thing because much of the rest of society was very divided. Good job that's not the case anymore, isn't it? Um, in those days, Ephesus was a major city for trade because the main land route from west to east and the main sea route from west to east both went through Ephesus, and that was the place where the land route and the sea route met. So whether you were taking what you had to sell by land or by sea, you came through Ephesus. So there was always a deal to be done. Always somebody with some money coming through. And also, always there was always work there for people who didn't have any work. People came to Ephesus for trade, and sometimes they stayed. So you would have lots of different cultures, lots of different nationalities in the same city. But like most cities, it was divided. The working class and the upper class would never be seen together. The rich and the poor bits would be separate. The Jews and the Gentiles, the non-Jews, they would be separate. But the weird thing about this letter that Paul is writing is that in these new churches that were springing up, this wasn't really the case there was this cross-section of society because it didn't matter where you were from, what your job was, what your family's standing was in the community. If you wanted to learn more about Jesus's teachings and how to follow them, you kind of gathered together. And this caused problems, obviously. Someone like Paul would turn up in a place like Ephesus. He would preach about Jesus. He would gather together this community of people who believe this story. He'd set them off and running, but then he'd go somewhere else and do the same thing again. And the people who were left, the people in Ephesus, they would have to try and work out how to build this community. And often they would fall out about how to interpret Jesus' teachings. I mean, again, it's a good job the churches don't do that anymore, isn't it? But... Paul, in his attempt to set them back on the right path, he would write to them. What we call the book of Ephesians is one of those letters. And Paul starts by explaining again these stories that they would have heard about God of Jesus and about how he cares for these people. In the beginning of this letter, he says, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He talks about how important it is for the community to be unified, for the Jews and the non-Jews to work together and ignore where they come from and what they've been told in the past. And then we get to this bit that Rebecca read to us. 
Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. From him, from Christ, the whole body, the whole church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I read this during the week. And that idea of being held together by every supporting ligament, it made me think of uh, Flick, who's sitting at the front, Felicity here, he used to work for us. Um, Because lots of you will know that a few years ago, Flick uh, got an injury playing netball and she tore her ACL, her ligament in her knee. Now, for somebody who was a football geek uh, and certainly growing up, the ACL was an injury that when I was a kid meant that you couldn't play professional football again. So I think I might have texted Flick at the time and told her the professional football career might have been over. Um, But in the 90s, there was this groundbreaking surgery. And because I'm a geek, I can remember the name of the surgeon in the States who came up with it. He was called Dr. Daniel Stedman. And it was like, if you got this injury as a professional footballer, you had to fly to the States to get operated on by this guy. And then there was a chance that you could carry on playing professional football again. But that's that's how serious it was. And without, you know... um, it was, yeah, there's, there's more detail to it, which Flick could tell you about later. But just in case, I thought I wouldn't go into too much of the detail just because, you know, you never know how people's uh, reactions are to such medical trauma type things, do you? But Flick's got lots of detail and lots of x-rays which she used to send to us as well, which were, uh, which were received in various levels of enjoyment by me and Rebecca, who also used to get these as well. Um, but I just had to Flick about this this morning because it reminded me of how slow it is to knit together, to grow, and to build up ligament damage like that. It reminded me of going to Flick's house and picking her up and putting her in a wheelchair and wheeling her incredibly slowly, because I was very nervous, down to a coffee shop and sitting and having uh, brunch with Flick and a coffee. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, going there and wheeling her down. At that point, she could get out and walk to a seat in a different coffee shop and just how incredibly slow that process was and how much incredibly hard work Flick had to put in in order that those ligaments would grow stronger again. But eventually they do. Eventually they do combine with the work of surgeons. And eventually, from May 2019, when Flick first did that injury, eventually, nearly four years later, in March 2023, they eventually lead to me and Rebecca getting a video of Flick running a kilometre on a treadmill for the first time in four years. Because you can't fix a ligament immediately. It takes time to grow. There's no operation that can be done that will make them 100% whole immediately. It takes depth. It takes hard work. It takes time. It takes an unbelievable amount of patience. And I wonder whether that's where Paul is coming from. I wonder whether that's why he uses this analogy of a supporting ligament. Again, they wouldn't have known quite the same level of medical knowledge in those days as we do now. But this idea that it takes a long time for these things to knit together. It takes work and depth. And I wonder whether there is a bit of a parallel again with us. That if we are going to grow roots, 
if we're going to grow, if we're going to add depth for the long haul, if we're going to play the long game, if we're going to really impact this community, we need to value depth and taking our time and being in it for the long haul. What happens when you do talks like this is that every day in the week before, every story that you see on the news, you think about it through the lens of what you're about to talk about. And this week, this idea of focusing on depth and long-term, not short-term quick wins. Um, I was thinking about that when I saw the headlines uh, a couple of days ago about all these schools that needed to close. I'm sure that you would have seen this story yourself. Hundreds of schools having to close because they were built 30 years ago from concrete, which, and this is the best analogy that I've heard this week, concrete that instead of being like a dairy milk was like an aero. <laughs> schools that were built deliberately to last a short period of time and not a long period of time. Lots of you will know that before I did this job, I used to work in marketing. And one of my many marketing jobs was to work for the bit of Oasis, which manages all the schools. It's called Oasis Community Learning. And we run 50-odd schools now across the country. And one of my jobs then was every time that we rebuilt a school or we reopened a school or opened a new one, our team would do quite a lot of the work around that, do a lot of the communications around that. And what we would always do when we built a new school is that we would have a groundbreaking ceremony we called it we'd get the local press there we'd get steve there with a shovel and we'd take lots of photos um and then we would have opening ceremonies when they were ready to go and we had a kind of a range of things that we would do and i remember one day going down to Bristol to a school that's called Oasis Academy John Williams. And they were going to get a new school built by the Building Schools for the Future Fund. It was millions and millions of pounds that this new school was going to, to cost. And I went to the old school to speak about this groundbreaking ceremony that we were going to have. And I walked in and I walked around this school and it was like, you know, paint chipped off everywhere, like broken glass panes. The doors didn't really close properly. I used to laugh and say, I went to a terrible school, and this was the only school building I've ever been into that was worse than the one that I went to when I was in secondary school. And it was pretty terrible. You know, old tattered textbooks, all those kind of things. And then we had the groundbreaking ceremony, and then I went back again, ages and ages later, for the opening ceremony. And we had this idea in our marketing team that what we would do is before everybody else went in to see it, we would take some of the year 10s who were going to go into the year 11. So they would be like the top of the school. That's the fifth form in old money. And we'd take some of them in and we'd take a, a camera behind them. We'd take some photos of them walking into this new school for the first time. And we walked in there with, you know, these like 15-year-old kids who were all a bit too cool for this, didn't really want their photo taken, you know. And I remember we opened the doors and they walked in and I remember them all standing there, stopping walking and going, whoa, and just looking around because they just couldn't believe the difference. It was the best school I'd ever been in from the worst school building I'd ever been in. As part of that opening ceremony, I walked into an English classroom where the English teacher had wheeled a table into the middle of the classroom, and it was like an interactive whiteboard. So the poem that she was talking about was on the table, and the kids had gathered around the table, and she was writing and annotating this poem on this interactive whiteboard. These kids had come from classrooms where the doors didn't close properly where they were freezing cold because the windows didn't close properly, and they were single pane. 
putting in good foundations, literally and figuratively, makes a difference, doesn't it? Those kids will learn better because we spent the money, we put in good foundations that will make a difference to their education. Depth. It's about putting down roots. It's about building for the future, not just for the here and now. Years and years ago, um, you remember when uh, Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, remember when he, um, he publicly got in a bit of trouble because he spoke out against Wonga and all these like, payday loan companies that were making fortunes off people who couldn't afford loans. And then it came out the week after that the Church of England had invested in Wonga. Do you remember that? And so he decided he'd do something about it. And one of the pieces of work that he did was to try and set up a project around financial resilience in schools. And because we were doing quite a lot of similar work with the debt advice and everything... I got asked to go to a, a roundtable meeting with some other people to look at what this piece of work could look like. And the guy I was sat next to just happened to be the guy who was in charge of the whole thing, a guy called Hector Sanz. And he was like one of those geniuses that you spend five minutes with and you think, oh, I really realize how not clever I actually am. You know, like you walk in feeling like your IQ's about here, you're five minutes with him and you realize it's probably down here. Like one of those kind of guys, but lovely with it. But he had been like, you know, senior global vice president of HSBC or like those types of jobs, you know. And then he had worked for the government and he had left his job working for the government to go and work for the Church of England. And I said, why did you do that? And he said, because the thing about working for a government or working for the civil service or whatever, he said, my experience is that you only really do two years' worth of work and then there's another election. So you're then back on electioneering and back on campaigning. And then maybe you might win again and then you do another two years' worth of work. And the actual difference that you can make is limited. He said, the reason I took this job is that he said, I sat down with Justin Welby and I said, if I wanted to write a 50-year strategy, could I do that? And he said, yeah, because the Church of England was around 50 years ago. And chances are, it'll be around for another 50 years. I wanted a job where I could add depth, where I wasn't just thinking about what was immediately in front of me, but something where I could make a lasting contribution. So what does this mean then for us as a church community over these next seven years? Practically, that's the task, as I said, that we'll be working on over the next weeks and months. And I would genuinely love to get your ideas about this. What are the problems? What have you experienced as part of this church, as part of this community, as part of any volunteering that you've done with us here? What do we need to fix? And what ideas have you got? How can we add value to this community by changing the way in which we make every interaction because it comes from a place of depth, not shallowness, long-term, not short-term? As I said, on the last of these three Sundays, we'll be holding our church forum, and that is your chance to have this conversation with me, but not just then. Come and grab me at the end. Come and grab anybody that you know who's on our leadership team. Go and speak to Jill next week. Give Jill some pointers ahead of next Sunday. Whatever it is, we genuinely want to hear this because this isn't one of those places where we stand up at the front and we say, this is what you need to do and this is the right thing and this is what we're going to do. Share your ideas. Help us. So I've 
probably talked for long enough. I'm just going to end by talking about one more idea, one more thing that we could get involved in. A while ago, I read a survey which said that Britain is the loneliness capital of Europe and that London is the loneliest place in Britain. London, it said, was the loneliness capital of Europe. Another survey said that 60% of 18 to 34-year-olds in London said they often felt lonely. That's 18 to 34s. Not people who are in their 80s and 90s and, you know, housebound and all that kind of stuff. This is people who you would imagine in that age category would have the biggest social life, would do all of these things. And more than half of them in this city said they often felt lonely. I think lots of the stories that you read about loneliness in London, lots of the conversations I have seem to follow the same pattern. Well, I'm not from London, but I moved here for work. And then I rented a flat or I rented a room in a flat with some other people. And, and they're nice, but we don't really have that much in common. So I spend a bit of time with them, but, you know, not so much. And then and I go to work and my workmates are, are fine. And maybe sometimes we, we have a drink together after work or something. But, but that's about it, really. I don't really have anybody to interact with on a much deeper level than that. How many of us have heard something similar to that? How many of us have experienced something similar to that? Yeah, a lot of hands. Now, every time I think about this and a hand goes up in a church, like in our church, that's something we can do, isn't it? That is something that we could do over the next seven years. How do we get our heads up? How do we look around on a Sunday morning? I think church has to be part of the answer to that because, again, I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone else. It's so easy to come along on a Sunday, to sit in the same seat, to sit next to your mates, to talk to your friends, to leave the auditorium, to queue up with your friends, to have coffee with your friends, to finish that conversation, finish your coffee, leave with those same people, have lunch with those same people, and get home having been out of the house in this community for four hours and only having spoken to the same people that you spoke to last Sunday. Please hear me. There is absolutely no judgment here. I've done that enough times myself in the past. But if we are, as a church, going to have some answers to this problem, we have to do more than that. We have to raise our heads. We have to look out for anyone who is new, anyone who's on the fringes. That's how we will add some of that depth. I often think that even if you are one of those people who comes and spends time with the same people and then has lunch with them, it's easy not to add that depth then, though, isn't it, as well? I have friends who I can spend entire evenings with without even scraping the surface of having sensible conversations or anything important. I can go to the pub for hours and then I'll come home and Louise will say, oh, how was that important thing? And I'll be like, I don't know. <laughs> we watched the football together and we had a really good conversation about Wales's chances in the Rugby World Cup. It's easy not to do those things. It's something that, to be honest, I've worked on 
deliberately over the years because, you know, you read all these stats about particularly men bottling up mental health problems because they don't talk to anyone, all those kind of things. And I have genuinely worked at trying to get a bit better at responding to a gap in a conversation in a pub by asking a real question instead of segueing into another conversation about sport. I'm still not great at it. But I do think it's something that loads of people, men especially, need to think about, work a bit harder at, get better at. So like I said, this is an introduction to this idea, not the final idea. We genuinely want to get some feedback on this kind of stuff. But I do wonder if working at some of those relationships is some of the answer. It can be difficult to connect in London, particularly if you're new. And it's also pretty transient, isn't it? Lots of my closer friends have left London over the last few years. So make the relationships while you're here. Stick it out. Get involved. If you can volunteer for something, join a small group, set up a connect group, whatever it might be. Even if you can only be here on a Sunday, use that Sunday. Don't just arrive, listen to the service, talk to the same people and leave. Be a participant in this community. There's a brilliant theologian called Miroslav Wolf who says, salvation comes not only as we are reconciled to God, not only as we learn to live with one another, but as we take the dangerous and costly step of opening ourselves to the other, of embracing he or her in the same embrace with which we've been enfolded by God. Salvation comes as we take the dangerous and costly step of opening ourselves to the other, of embracing people, in the same embrace with which we have been enfolded by God. Take that dangerous and potentially costly step. Go deeper, not just for the benefit of the wider community, but for your own benefit too. Discover the joy of embracing others in the same embrace with which we have been enfolded by God and discover what growth we can experience from deepening our relationships with those around us. One more verse and then I'll end. This is from slightly earlier in that same letter. Chapter 3. I pray that you, being rooted, rooted, depth, and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Because that's the other way, I think, that we see depth. We put down our roots in Oasis Church, Waterloo. But bigger than that, if we're committing ourselves to being rooted in this church, we are committing ourselves to being rooted and established in love. We are committing ourselves to love ourselves, to love our neighbors, to love God in the way that God loves us. So as I invite Ben and the band back up, we'll sing one more song together. But that is my prayer for all of us today. My prayer would be that each and every one of you would find yourselves rooted in this community, knowing what it is that you can bring to add depth to this community, but also that you would find yourself rooted and established in love 
and that you would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.